Welcome to Ocean Currents. Our host, Jennifer Stock, is on a special assignment. I'm Lyons Filmer here in the studio. And today we have a true ocean broadcast, bringing ocean currents to you from the exploration vessel Nautilus. Jennifer Stock is on board the Nautilus somewhere offshore in the Pacific Ocean, and we'll be joining her and the other scientists on this exploration expedition. So let's go live to the ship. Hello, Jenny. You are on the air. Hello, Lions, and hello, listeners of KWMR. Thanks for tuning in. I am really excited to bring this special edition to you from the ocean. It's like a dream come true, hosting Ocean Currents Radio from the ocean itself. So welcome to another edition of Ocean Currents. I'm your host, Jennifer Stock. And on this show, we talk with scientists, educators, fishermen, explorers, policymakers, ocean enthusiasts, authors, and more, all uncovering and learning about the mysterious and vital part of our planet, the Blue Ocean. I bring this show to you monthly from NOAA's Cordell Bank National Marine Sanctuary, one of four national marine sanctuaries in California, all working to protect unique and biologically diverse ecosystems. Just offshore of the KWMR listening area on the West Marin Coast are the Greater Farallons and Cordell Bank National Marine Sanctuaries, which together protect 4,581 square miles. These National Marine Sanctuaries are well situated in one of the most productive ocean ecosystems in the world here in California. The oceanographic system that generates tons of nutrients for a diverse food web support highly migratory mammals, seabirds, and many local ones as well. So I'm super excited to be with you today, not only because I haven't been on the air for a while, but I'm actually in the National Marine Sanctuaries right now. Uh, Right now we are in the Greater Farallons National Marine Sanctuary, about uh, 17 nautical miles west of the Sea Ranch area. And we are on the exploration vessel Nautilus on an exploration mission of the deep sea communities uh, throughout both sanctuaries. So Ocean Currents comes to you today live from the ocean itself. So I'm in the studio on the ship, um, and I have our expedition leader, Dr. Nicole Renault, who is the Vice President of Exploration and Science Operations for the Ocean Exploration Trust, and Danny Lipsky, Research Coordinator with Cordell Bank National Marine Sanctuary. Jan Roletto was going to join us, who's with the Greater Farallons, but she's very busy with a dive right now and some exciting stuff happening, so she couldn't join us, but Danny will cover for both the sanctuaries. Our exhibition time is a 24-hour around-the-clock operation, and we've been going full steam since Friday, but want to take a pause before this dive ends today. Our vehicles will be coming out of the water very shortly and catch up so you all can hear what we've been up to. So, Nicole, first, I'd just, if you could just tell us a little bit about the Exploration Vo- the Nautilus and the Ocean Exploration Trust. Um, tell us a little bit about this organization. Sure. So Nautilus is owned and operated by the Ocean Exploration Trust. Uh, We're a nonprofit organization, and our mission is to explore the world's oceans, areas that nobody has been before uh, with deep-sea technology. We bring with us a mapping system wherever the Nautilus goes uh, so we can map. um, Given that most of the world's oceans are unmapped, this is an important first step to help us decide where we're going to dive. And uh, when I say dive, I mean with remotely operated vehicles. So we have two ROVs um, that have video cameras and lights because we go where it's uh, very dark. 
Um, and one of them, Hercules, has sampling capabilities. So we're able to take samples of the seafloor, um, samples of biology, geology, water samples that scientists will use um, once we get them back on board the ship. And a big part of our mission as well is outreach and education. So we bring young people out to the ship, um, undergraduates, graduate students, to train them in science, engineering, um, communications, uh, and then we also have the Nautilus Live website. So nautiluslive.org is the best way for viewers to take a look at what we're doing in real time and also ask us questions. So there's a little box on the Nautilus Live website where you can write in to the Watch Standing Science team and uh, we'll answer them as we can. One of the big things I'm seeing, uh, this is my second Nautilus mission, which is so fun to be here again, but one of the big things I see is the uh, mentoring that happens here. Can you talk a little bit about how young people can get into this field and how the Ocean Exploration Trust helps them by being, being part of these missions? Yeah, it's really critical that people are able to see themselves in um, a career at sea and actually experience it before they, you know, commit to it. So I think our internship programs are an excellent opportunity to do that. There are open applications right now, so if you go to the NautilusLive.org website, you'll see uh, a link that you can click. We have uh, interns in the science field, so undergraduates, graduate students um, who come out in marine-related fields, also ocean engineering or mechanical electrical engineering, the ROV pilots or learn how to be mechanics and drivers of these, um, video interns as well, so people who are interested in telling stories from a video perspective, um, wildlife photographer types will come out as uh, video interns, and we bring out science communicators as well, so these are professionals. Uh, and so one of our goals is just to make sure that in every watch team that we have on the ship, there are young people, interns, who are learning uh, what it's like to do a job at sea. What are some other, where are some other areas the Nautilus has been this field season? And you're almost wrapping up the season, too. So where else are you headed after today or after this week? Yeah, Nautilus has traveled the furthest west we've been. Um, so we started in our home port of San Pedro, which is outside of L.A., um, in California, and headed out to uh, Hawaii and did work in American Samoa with the sanctuary there. Um, we've done work around different U.S. territories, including Howland and Baker, um, Johnston Atoll. So we've done a lot of far-ranging research on different seamounts in particular in the Pacific. Um, and after this, we're actually going to work in another sanctuary. We're going back to Monterey Bay National Marine Sanctuary, um, hopefully to visit the octopus's garden. That's the plan. So that will be next week. Literally, the theme song could not have been more perfect. There is an octopus's garden in Monterey Bay. So I want to turn a little bit more to the science and the objectives of this week. So, Danny, I'm going to bring you on. And I know you've been planning this cruise for a year. We call these cruises because we're out on a vessel. It's not like we're in cruise mode um, in the typical cruise most people think of. But you and Jan Roletto from Greater Fairlands have been planning this for a year. How did you determine your research objectives for this week? Yeah, we have been planning this for a long time, and um, I'll talk first about Cordell Bank National Marine Sanctuary, and then I can speak to the Greater Fairlands National Marine Sanctuary's goals as well. 
We were so fortunate to be able to come out on this vessel in 2017, and at that time, the sanctuary had been expanded in 2015, but there we had very little information about the area that had been added to the sanctuary, which was to the north and to the west of the original sanctuary. And at that time, we explored some of that deep habitat for the very first time, down to 2,700 meters. Nobody had ever seen that habitat before, and we weren't sure what we were going to find, and we were really thrilled to find um, these uh, great biological communities with corals and sponges and fish that had never been documented in our sanctuary before. And we learned a lot on that, um, on that survey, and we took a lot of samples that were then identified in the lab. We took all that video that we collected back to the lab, and it was analyzed. Every single coral and sponge in that video was identified and enumerated. We learned a lot, but at that time, we had only covered a small portion of our sanctuary, and what we had found out, found, really just raised more questions for us. Where else are these organisms? And we had questions about the identity of those organisms, and so that um, cruise in 2017 really helped us kind of narrow in on what our goals would be if we could go back, and so we were so excited to have this opportunity in 2019 to take a look at some areas where we hadn't been before, we hadn't gotten to in 2017 to complete some of those surveys and um, through different depth habitats. The deep sea can be really structured by what depth you're in. You can see really different communities. So we had explored some depth zones but not others. We wanted to go back to different depth zones. And then we had seen some organisms we were interested in and we wanted to go to places where we thought we would find them so we could collect them and learn more about them. So we are really building on our knowledge that we learned on our first 2017 Nautilus cruise and um, using that to inform and narrow in on our, our goals for research in 2019. For the Greater Fairlands National Marine Sanctuary, the goal was to work up in the area that was added to the sanctuary in 2015, and we're working in an area that is called the Point Arena Biogenic Area. And there are a few objectives on this um, mission for Greater Farallons. One is to look in some habitat that's never been explored before just to see what we could find, to find some substrate, hard substrate, um, that would be amenable to coral and sponge communities and fish communities, to look at that for the first time. It hasn't been explored before. In addition, is a very um, specific and applied uh, management goal um, to get some information that can help inform management. So in this area, there have been some proposed changes to the fish, fisheries management zones. The National Marine Sanctuaries don't manage fisheries, but we do work closely with the rest of our partners within NOAA and the Pacific Fisheries Management Council to inform um, the, the changes that are being made, the management recommendations that are being made in those areas. So there have been some changes that have been proposed to fishing regulations to open some areas and close some areas along the coast of California. And there was very, very little information about this area in Point Arena that has some proposed changes. So we are specifically looking at those areas to survey those areas in a very prescribed way to look at um, transects where we can quantify the organisms and look at the density of those organisms so that we can provide that information to the organizations that make those recommendations for fisheries management. Can you talk a little bit about the significance of these deeper habitats to the overall ecology of this area in the ocean? 
Yes, we still have a lot to learn about the ecology of the deep sea. And so in one way, we are still just trying to inventory the species that are there and learn about what is there. But it is thought that um, these communities play an important role in the ecology of sanctuaries. They, um, these deep sea communities that include corals and sponges and fish, um, they can provide habitat for a lot of other organisms. So often we will zoom in on these areas, and when you think it's just one large organism, once you zoom in, you see that the it's just covered with many other organisms. And it plays an important function in the carbon cycling in the, in the sanctuary, and there is a connection to the surface areas of our sanctuary. So that's what people can see from the shoreline. They see the ocean. They see the surface. And what happens on the surface of the ocean is connected to the deep sea communities. So the, when we're looking in the deep sea communities, those organisms there, they're feeding on um, detritus and organisms that fall from the surface of the ocean. And so what happens on the surface of the ocean can affect those deep sea communities. So it really is all connected. For folks just turning in, uh, tuning in, this is Jennifer Stock, uh, host of Ocean Currents, calling in from the exploration vessel Nautilus, which is currently in the Greater Farallons National Marine Sanctuary. And we're talking with scientists aboard the vessel, Danny Lipsky from Cordell Bank National Marine Sanctuary, and earlier Nicole Renault with the Ocean Exploration Trust. Um, Danny, can you visually t- or tell us what it's like to approach one of these deep sea communities. Uh, suppose you're coming up on a transect and all of a sudden there's this, and I guess in your mind, think of one of the habitats that we came upon and just describe the species that you saw, how they're interrelated and how, they're, how they are intertwined with each other, just so people can get an idea of the diversity of animals. Sure. Well, there really is a, the thrill of discovery because we don't know what we're going to find. We might find something new, and um, we're coming up to a feature, and it might start to be shadowy, uh, the dark splotch ahead, and then you get pr- and start things start to become more clear. So they're really kind of straining your eyes to see what is that, what is that, and then you might get there and things start to become more clear and you'll we see these rocky structures when you get to rock you get excited because you think we're going to see something cool here um, so we'll see these sponges which can be these white or yellow kind of globular kind of things they can take lots of different shapes and forms kind of bizarre looking and then we see these corals they have these fan-like structures they can be white or yellow, even red, pink. Um, some of them are really delicate. Some of them are more uh, kind of chunky looking. And um, we see on the seafloor kind of crawling around, we see the crabs. We see fish tucked into little crevices. We see skates on the seafloor if there's some flat habitat. Um, and then we get to these and we really zoom in and you can see um, brittle stars climbing up to the tops of these corals so that they can extend into the water column and feed, and we'll see little shrimp and isopods and amphipods on the structures of these corals. So I hope that gives you a sense of the communities that we see. It's one of those things where if you've ever stopped to look in your garden or in a tide pool or something, and once you stop to look, everything just kind of comes out at you. There's so much more there than you originally thought, and that's some of the um, kind of sensory experiences we have while we're studying the seafloor. 
I've kind of called it deep-sea snorkeling because these cameras can get right in there and get magnified on this community, and you see all these different animals looking, um, crawling amongst each other and on the edges, and it's, it's so stunning. I'm so honored to be part of this. Nicole, I want to ask you, just um, you've been to so many expeditions and many places around the world's oceans. What are some of your um, observations of seeing the habitat here in the Greater Farallones and Cordell Banks Sanctuary so far and how it might be similar or different from other areas that you've been to? Yeah, I've really been enjoying watching these dives because I think it is amazing to see just the vibrancy of life here. There are... Um, so many of these rocky outcrops that have a diversity of life, and it's very beautiful. And as Danny um, nicely explained, the complexity of it is really um, rich and and just beautiful to see. Um, so it's clear that this is an important area to protect. Uh, and compared to other areas I've seen, I mean, I think um, also when you look at other places, there's always some forms of life. So even when you're going over a mudflat, you can find something living there. You can see signs of bioturbation. Um, but certainly this is an area that is very vibrant. Um, you know, areas up uh, along the Cascadia margin where we have the methane seeps, you certainly get different types of communities along those cold seep features. And then we've been to areas with the hydrothermal vents. And again, you see difference, differences in the communities. But um, I think the important thing to, for people to realize is that the deep sea is full of life and um, that we just have to spend some time looking for it. So, Danny, what are some potential threats to these areas, and how does the information we're gathering through this research effort help support the sanctuary management objectives? In Greater Farallons National Marine Sanctuary, the areas that we are studying right now with the vehicles in the water, um, one of the threats to some of the areas that they might be opening here and other places along the coast is bottom contact fishing. So um, if trawling is allowed in some of these areas, that is um, detrimental to these long-lived and delicate slow-growing organisms. Another um, concern is marine debris, which is something that we've been seeing, and your viewers at home watching along can, can see, see this as well. We've seen some plastics, we've seen some trash, we've seen some fishing gear. It's definitely um, harmful to the seafloor in these communities. And another big issue is climate change, and a lot of the communities we're looking at in the really deep ocean they have a fairly constant temperature and, and physical conditions, um, so the, the, um, they're not experiencing a lot of changes in, in that way, um, but they are still affected by climate change, and those connections to the, ocean, to the surface that I was talking about can definitely affect these deep-sea communities. So those um, changes in ocean temperature, dissolved oxygen, and acidification that are really affecting surface waters can affect the food supply for these organisms in the deep sea. And if we start to see some of those um, conditions extending to the deeper sea, um, they will be affected by changes in temperature and dissolved oxygen and acidification as well. There's a question just um, each for both of you. What is the one thing you most want people to know about the ocean as a whole, but also the deep sea environment, and how can they best help protect it? 
I think it's really important that people know um, just how important it is to explore uh, the deep sea because there is a lot more to discover. I think less than 1% of the seafloor has been actually seen by humans, and um, just around 10 to maybe 13% of it has been mapped. So we have a lot more work to do, and that's important so that we can understand our planet and, and help protect it. I know that many of the local KWMR listeners probably have a strong connection to the coast and the ocean, but what I want people to know is that everybody on our planet needs to be concerned about the ocean. The ocean is, we are all so affected by the ocean. It provides so many services to us, not just a place to recreate and to relax and to fish, but it provides a protein source for people around the world. It affects and drives our weather patterns. It absorbs the carbon dioxide and buffers those changes to our climate. And it um, provides 50% of the oxygen that we breathe. So if even people who don't live near the coast, who live in the middle of the country and maybe don't go to the beach and enjoy the ocean as much, everybody is really affected by changes to the ocean. So, um, And by us studying the ocean, that allows us to share these facts and information with people to help them to understand how important ocean habitat is. I'm glad you brought that last part up because that's one of the really cool things that's happening on this ship is that we are interacting with schools and museums throughout the week on these video chats, ship-to-shore interactions. And just before my radio show, I chatted with a school, two schools in Oakland, one in Oakland, one in Alameda, and the students got to see us here on the ship and hear about what we've been doing and, and what we're looking at, and it was really fun for them to talk with us directly, and that education part is so important. And the other part is the fact that uh, the... Nautilus is streaming live to nautiluslive.org when the ROVs are diving, meaning when we have our ROVs in the water, people all around the world can watch. We have people, uh, and they can chat in, too. They can write questions. And so we've had people from all around the world chime in and say hello, that they're watching, and that is so exciting to um, to me as a communicator and an educator, and I really appreciate that part of the Nautilus. Um, so I just want to say thank you, Nicole and Danny. We're working 24 hours around the clock, so thanks for coming in to talk with our listeners today. Um, Lyons, I wanted to give you a minute or two in case you have any last questions before we wrap up our time here on the Nautilus and KWMR. Well, thank you so much, Jenny and Danny and Nicole. I have been watching uh, NautilusLive.org while listening to your conversation. It's absolutely fascinating. Uh, if you're in the, in the sound of my voice <laughs> and you can get to your computer, go to NautilusLive.org. Uh, it's absolutely fascinating. I, coral? We have coral here. You know, my brain thinks, I oh, know, right? Australia, you know, the South Pacific. We have coral out just off our shore in the Pacific Ocean. In fact, there's a piece. I'm seeing a piece right now on NautilusLive.org with lots and lots of fish swimming around it. There's some kind of, it looks red from a distance, but it looks more brown up close. It's a worm or a slug kind of thing. 
and there's I saw the skates. I've seen uh, anemones. I think it's an anemone, a deep apricot color that was attached to some kind of small structure. It didn't look like coral, but I couldn't really see uh, below the below the anemone itself. Um, how I thought we were too cold for coral, Jenny. Yeah, well, that's one of the things that a lot of people don't realize is that we have deep water coral communities all around the world. Um, it's just the technology to see them has just come on in the last century, uh, even less than that, um, to be able to access them. And it's an amazing thing that we're still discovering all these habitats around the ocean that we just don't know about yet because they're hard to see. And even when we go down for 24 hours plus diving, we're only seeing a small fraction of it because the lights of the ROV only go so far. Um, we do go really slow so we can take in as much as possible. So even though we're going down and um, exploring the sanctuary, there's still a lot of it we're not seeing. Sure. Um, and so what's around the corner that's out of view that we're not seeing is always a wonder as well. Yeah. Um, the- these, these communities are very slow growing because it is so cold and dark and so very fragile, but at the same time really tough as well in the mm-hmm. sense that they've, they're thriving down there. Well, I, I really took in the point, I forget which of you made it, about the food source for this, uh, the deep-sea environment animals is coming from the surface. So whatever's happening on the surface is affecting their food source, which then, of course, affects them, not to mention the plastic and the other trash, uh, human-created human trash. Another note that that one of you said toward the end there was that the ocean provides 50% of the oxygen we breathe. I'd never heard that before, and that is an astounding piece of information. Yeah, all that phytoplankton in the surface waters, um, those are tiny microscopic algae, and they photosynthesize, which means they use the sun to make energy, and when they make energy for their bodies, they also make oxygen, And that oxygen is a big part of our atmosphere. Mm -hmm. And um, if humans enjoy breathing, it's a great (laughs) way to appreciate the ocean because um, a lot of it does come from that phytoplankton. That's a great way to put it. um, Real quickly, I wanted to mention that, you know, we're pulling up and we're going to be moving to another dive site soon. We're having some excellent weather right now, but we're kind of nervous. There's some weather coming up that might put us on pause for a day. Um, but we're hoping to dive later on in the week back in Bodega Canyon. Um, this expedition is scheduled to end Friday, which means diving would end Thursday. Um, but every day is a little different. We react to the weather and what's happening, so folks should definitely stay tuned. And if there's folks that are local and would like to do a video chat, come down to Point Reyes National Seashore on Thursday uh, at the Red Barn Classroom at 12 o'clock. Um, ben Becker is doing a lunchtime brown bag seminar, and we'll be doing a video chat to talk a little bit more about what we've found and what we're seeing, and we'll have some photos to show um, so people can come down to the Red Barn classroom at 12 o'clock for that on Thursday. That sounds wonderful. I'm, again, I want to point people to nautiluslive.org. I get through Thursday, the camera will be down there looking. And uh, this uh, the Thursday noon event at the Red Barn at, at uh, 
Point Reyes National Seashore headquarters in Olima sounds a great way to to get a sense of, as you said, what's been seen and discovered. Are there other places people might go to see the results of uh, what's been found and discovered on these explorations? Well, every single dive after it's done, it gets archived to YouTube. Oh, so great. If people want to see a dive that they've missed, um, they can go over to YouTube and Google um, Exploration Vessel Nautilus, Cordell Bank, or Greater Farallons, and see the dive. I'm not sure how long it takes from being live to going over to YouTube. But, sure. Um, we have some Nautilus live lifers that, like, they live for this, and then when the season ends, they're, like, really sad. <laughs> we have YouTube now where they can watch their videos nonstop and explore with us. Um, along the way. That's wonderful. Um, it's fun on the ship. If we're on a watch for four hours, a lot of us will be sitting in what's called the lounge where there's screens up and we're watching um, even though we're not on watch just because it's so exciting. So I hope yeah. folks tune in and learn a little bit more about what we have right off our coastline of Point Reyes in this incredible area. Jennifer Stock is the host of Ocean Currents here on First Mondays at 11 a.m. on KWMR, Point Reyes Station. Jennifer, thank you for your time and for uh, your scientist guests, Danny and Nicole. My apologies, I didn't catch their last names. Uh, Thank them for their time as well. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you for helping to coordinate this. It's been really fun. And I appreciate you filling in for me while I'm out at sea. It's fun for me, too, Jenny. Thanks so much, and we'll, we'll talk soon. All right. Bye-bye. Take care. Jennifer Stock out on the exploration vessel Nautilus, just off uh, our coastline. I believe she said where they are at the moment is somewhere off uh, Sea Ranch area. And uh, this dive around the Sea Ranch area is coming to an end, and they're going to be going to the Bodega Bay area, Bodega Canyon, Jenny Stock specifically mentioned, nautiluslive.org. Wonderful fun watching this. Absolutely fascinating. And as uh, Jenny said, there's a way to uh, submit questions. Thank you for listening to Ocean Currents. This show is brought to you by NOAA's Cordell Bank National Marine Sanctuary on West Marine Community Radio, KWMR. Views expressed by guests on this program may or may not be that of the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration and are meant to be educational in nature. To contact the show's host, Jennifer Stock, email me at jennifer.stock at noaa.gov. To learn more about Cordell Bank National Marine Sanctuary, go to cordellbank.noaa.gov.